Let's open our Bibles to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 12. Now before I read the scripture to you, I want to talk to you, I want to encourage you to think about the cross. Now, I want to qualify this. When I, when I say the cross, I want you to understand that the cross is all-inclusive. When Paul the Apostle writes in his letters to the church, and he talks of the cross, and for instance, when he, in the book of Corinthians, when he says, I have purposed to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. He didn't mean that he only knew Christ dead on a cross. He meant... I only know among you Christ and Him crucified with the understanding that the crucified Christ is also the risen Christ. We can't talk about the cross and not speak of the resurrection. There would be no, there would be no resurrection without the cross. And there is no cross apart from the resurrection. Jesus didn't just come to die. He did come to die, but He always understood that in dying, he would be raised. And Paul writes this in Romans, in Romans the 6th chapter. He says to the Romans, he says, If you have been baptized with him in his death, in other words, if you've been crucified with him, you also have been raised with him. If you identify with his death, then you are walking in the newness of his life. And so I want you to think of the cross today in terms of a door. You know, Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the gate of the sheep. I am the way. But I want you to think of the cross in terms of a door. The cross is a door that leads out of the old, out of the old that has come to an end by death. There is something old that God brought to an end at the cross. And he brought it to an end by death. The death of Jesus on the cross brought something to an end. This is alluded to throughout the scripture. For instance, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is is writing to these Jewish believers who are struggling still with keeping the law going to the temple and sacrificing animals and trying to supplement their faith in Jesus. Now remember, we've been in the book of Mark and we're kind of doing a progression here. And I'm not going to specifically deal today. I know it's Easter Sunday. I'm not going to specifically deal with the the written account of the resurrection. I want to say this to you. If you're a a believer here today or, or if you're questioning whether you believe or you don't believe. I want you to realize that the the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most historically documented events, if not the most historically documented events that's, that's happened in history. To say that there is no evidence of Jesus, that there is no evidence of his resurrection, to say that we if if we really want to be intellectually honest about that, then we're going to have to question almost everything in history, I mean, from, from Napoleon all the way back. Really and truly, I'm, I'm not being facetious, I'm being serious. We, we don't question the existence of Julius Caesar. 
But yet there's more historical evidence of Christ and his resurrection than there is of Julius Caesar. But we have no historians, we have no archaeologists questioning all of these things that we just accept as fact. You know why that is? It's really very simple. See, Julius Caesar makes no demand on your life. If Julius Caesar lived or didn't live, it really has no impact on you personally where you are right now. But now Jesus Christ, if he is real, if he truly is the risen Christ, he is making a demand. He is calling us to give an account. He is calling us to consider our life. We are called to consider Christ, just as Pilate did. What shall I do with this man Jesus. Well, the cry of the crowd was what? Crucify him. See, the same question is being asked to everyone today. What shall I do with this man who is called Christ, who is called Jesus Christ? See, this is why people have a problem accepting the reality of Christ. It's not that there's not evidence. Science is proving the Bible every day. It's not that this book goes without evidence that we have to believe it to be some fairy tale. It's so far from that. The problem is, if we're going to believe this book, then we're going to have to give an account. And so it's much easier just to say, it's not real. It doesn't exist. It's much more convenient for me to, to conveniently decide... Well, those people must know what they're talking about. They say Jesus wasn't a real person. The resurrection never happened, so, so I don't believe it did. Because if it never happened, then I don't have to deal with the issues that Scripture demands that I deal with. People do it all the time. You probably know people. You probably have friends and family members who, who live in what we call denial. And this is all it is. It's humanity's denial. This is why people have a problem with Jesus. This is why the church spends so much time trying to convince people that Jesus is real. And, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not against trying to convince people Jesus is real. But I'm going to tell you what. There's no, there's no amount of historical or scientific evidence you're going to present that's going to convince someone to believe in Jesus. If that were true, the whole world would believe right now. Because there's plenty of evidence to believe in Jesus. See, what's got to happen is there's got to be a change in our heart. And science isn't going to do that. Archaeology is not going to do that. History is not going to do that. We will conveniently close our eyes and bury our heads in the sand to those things because we don't want to deal with our own heart. And we will conveniently deceive ourselves. That's what we'll do. How do I know that? Because that's what man has done from the very beginning. It's what the Pharisees did with Jesus. And so the cross is a door that leads out of the old that has come to an end by death and into the new that has begun by life. The cross is a door that takes me out of the old and it brings me into the new. The old came to an end by death. The new has come to a beginning by life. If I am crucified with Christ, Paul says it this way, it's no longer I who live. 
He says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, if any woman be in Christ, if any child, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How did the old pass away? When I was crucified with him, I was brought out of the old. It was brought to an end. And I have been ushered into the new. By my death with him on the cross, I left the old. And through the power of his resurrection, the very thing we celebrate today, I have come into the new. And the cross is the door that takes me from the old and brings me into the new. By the cross, we step out of our old life. And here is what our old life is. I want you to listen, and I want you to understand what I'm saying. The cross causes us to step out of our old life that is sin, death, and darkness. It wasn't sin, death, and darkness because you behaved sinfully, because you acted darkly, or because you... It's not about that. Paul, the apostle, the great apostle Paul, you know what he said about himself? He said, I, in the points of the law, as a man, was blameless. Righteous? Are you kidding? There was none who behaved and lived more righteously than I. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was trained and taught by the very best. But what was the conclusion Paul came to about his life? His life was sin, it was death, it was darkness. Why? Not because of what he did or didn't do, but because of who he was. See, we were sin, death, and darkness because in the old creation, remember? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That means when I was not in Christ, I was of the Old creation. And in the old creation, my life was sin, death, and darkness. Why? Because that was my nature. Because I was born of the man of dust. And that man of dust called Adam, that's what the word Adam means. The word Adam means man. Man fell. Not, Adam was not the only one that fell. Man fell in the very beginning. And when man fell every man born subsequent to that fallen man named Adam. Every human being born since then was born in sin, in death, and in darkness. It is our nature. And the cross is the door that takes us out of the nature of sin, death, and darkness and brings us into a new life, it causes us to be able to step into the resurrection of Christ. And in that resurrection, my my life in Christ, I become righteousness, life, and light. I'm not in sin anymore. I am now in righteousness. Why? Because I am in Christ. And who is my righteousness? Christ is our righteousness. I'm not... I am not in death any longer. 
Why? Because I have come. I have stepped out of the old and into the new. I am in Christ. And Christ is what? He is my life. I have stepped out of darkness. And I have come into the light. Christ is the light. I am now righteousness, life, and light because of Christ. That is not possible apart from the resurrection. This is why Paul says to the Corinthians, if there is no resurrection, we are of all men most pitiable. If the only hope we have is in this life, if it's only hope that we have in this flesh, in this temporal existence, in in everything around us, he said, we're pretty pitiful. But when... Christ died on that cross. He died so that we could step out of the old and come into the new. Ephesians 5.8 says, You were once darkness, but now you are light. Amen? You were once in death, but now you are in Christ who is your life. You were once trapped in sin in a hole so deep and so dark. There was no way out. But God made a way where there was no way. And you have now become the righteousness of God in Christ. You didn't do that. Christ did that. Amen. That's good news, church. The good news is you don't have to do it. Christ has done it. You have to, by faith, receive what he has done. And if we can't believe that he is real, if we can't believe that he is truly risen, then we cannot receive what he has done. It's impossible to. So the cross is a door that leads us out of the old and brings us into the new. The cross is a door that is made, listen, it's made by love. It was love that brought Jesus to this earth. It was love that took Jesus to that cross. It was love that that kept him on that cross. It was love that opened a door out of the old and into the new. It was love that caused us to be able to come out of sin, out of death, and out of darkness, and come into into righteousness, and into life, and into light. It was love that did that. Love made a way where there was no way. Love leads us out of the old. Love brings us into the new. I want you to listen to this. Love has no middle ground. Now we are often mistaken into thinking that there's some kind of middle ground. We see it in our theology. We see it in our culture. You just look around at the culture we live in today, at the society we live in today. We live in a a society and a culture that is colored gray. Everything's a gray area. Everything's situational. Well, it's wrong to lie here, but it's okay to lie here. Well, it's wrong to cheat here, but you know cheating here is okay. No. Listen, there is no middle ground. That's, that's only an illusion in our mind. That's a deception. That's a stronghold that we've allowed to be established in our minds. Love has no middle ground. Jesus said it this way. You're either for me or you're against me. You're either a son of the devil or you're a son of God. You're either in light or you are in darkness. It's kind of like being alive. How many of you are in between life and death? How many of you are almost alive today? I have any almost alive people here today? Any? Huh? No. You're either alive or you're not. 
Do I have any almost pregnant women here today? No, you're either pregnant or you're not. See, we're either in Christ or we're not. We're either in life or we're in death. There is no middle ground here. That middle ground is a figment of our imagination. It's not taught in Scripture. It doesn't exist anywhere. It just only, it exists in our mind. And we comfort ourselves with the deception, thinking that, well, you know, I'm not so bad, and I know I'm not really good. You know, I'm, I'm not totally bad, so God's not going to like totally reject me. Surely he's going to accept me because I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. We're like a political moderate, you know. You ever notice what gets happened to, you know, what happens to things that, that, that live in the middle of the road? <laughs> Their true condition is revealed. <laughs> they die. They're dead. <laughs> you can't live in the middle because it doesn't exist. So love has no middle ground. Jesus said it this way, I wish that you'd be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You know what happens when something that is lukewarm gets spewed out of? It becomes cold. You know why Jesus is going to spew them out of his mouth? Because, because he can't deal with them if they're deceived into thinking they're in some gray middle ground area. He said, I'll just spew you out of my mouth and let you become cold. And then I can deal with you. Or you become hot, then I can deal with you. But I can't deal with you as long as you live with the illusion that you're living in some middle ground, some gray area some way. See, the door of the cross has no middle ground. You're either in the old or you're in the new. You're either going to go through it and come into life or you're going to stay on this side of it and remain in death. You're either going to go through it and come into the resurrection that we celebrate today or you're going to stay here and you're going to remain in Sin and death and in darkness. And God doesn't want you to do that. How do we know that? Because he went to the cross. Because Christ went to the cross. He opened the door that you couldn't open. He made a way where there was no way. He made it possible for you to come out of the old by death and enter into the new by life. He came that we might have life. He didn't come to condemn you or me. We were already condemned, he says in in John 3. You know, I didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned when I came. He said, I came to save the world because they were condemned. See, the world has this idea that God's up there judging people. He's up there throwing lightning bolts at people. And we go see these movies. You know, there's two movies coming out. Clash of the Titans, and then there's this other movie that also deals with the Greek gods and Greek mythology. If anybody's ever read or studied Greek mythology, you know that the gods were just, they just toyed with people. They played with them. They used people as pawns. And, and we somehow believe that that's who God is, and that's not who he is. He's a savior. He didn't have to come. He didn't have, Jesus didn't have to come. Jesus didn't have to die on that cross. Jesus did not have to make a way where there was no way. He didn't have to take us out of, out of sin, out of death, and out of darkness. He didn't have to. That's where we deserve to be. That's where we put ourselves. People always ask, why, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Because we brought it upon ourselves. When man fell, there is a curse that came with the fall. You say, but I didn't do that. It's not my fault. It doesn't matter. My puppies, I've got beautiful little puppies at home. Y'all should come see them. I've only got five left, and I think they're all about giving away. Anybody want a puppy? Raise your hand. Dang, do I have any little children in here? If you want your mommies and daddies to get you a puppy, you tell them, Pastor Jeff has them, and they, they don't cost anything. I'll even give you a cup of dog food to go with it. They're healers. They're purple healers. 
That means they're red. The mama's, mama's blue and the daddy's red, so they're purple. When you mix red and blue, you get purple. But listen, as cute as those puppies are, they're puppies. What if your puppy or your kitty came to you and said, you know, I'm so tired of being a puppy. I'm so tired of being a kitty. I, I, it's not my fault I'm born a kitty. It's not my fault I'm a cat or a dog. You know, my daddy did that to me way back then. But I'm tired of being, I just want to be something else. It's just a cruel thing that's been done to me. I don't deserve to be a dog. I don't deserve to be a cat. That doesn't happen, does it? Because we are what we are. The world is what it is because that's what it is. Why? Because man fell. Because of sin and death and darkness that entered in. God could have left it like that, but he chose not to. He sent his son and he made a way. He opened a door for us to walk out of sin, death, and darkness and come into righteousness, life, and light. And what I'm telling you is, by the Spirit of God, you can walk through that door today. You can do it. Maybe you've already done it. But maybe you don't live in the reality of it. Maybe you're still living like you're back on the other side of that door, wondering why it's so dark, why it's, it's so hard. Listen, Jesus never said life would be easy. He really didn't. He said He'd be with us in everything said he'd be our peace in the midst of the storm. said he'd be our joy and our strength. He said his grace would be sufficient. He might not remove the thing that is buffeting our flesh, but he made this promise, my grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. We always want to look around and find out who, who's to blame. We're like the Pharisees. Well, Jesus, what sin did he commit? There we go, judging again. We just want to judge all the time. And we do that because we don't know anything else to do. Because that's the tree we ate from in the beginning. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, Jesus never meant for us to eat from that tree. He didn't want us to go around judging and condemning. He wanted us to partake of life. He came... He came to that cross. He died. He rose from that grave. He lives today so that we don't have to live in that condition any longer. We can come out of that old way and we can come into new life in Christ. And we can eat from the tree of life. Go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We'll pick it up in verse 18. Now, in Mark chapter 12, verse 18... The scripture begins by saying this, Then some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, and they asked him, saying... So here's, here's the deal. In Jesus' day, in that day, there were two main sects of Judaism. There were Pharisees and Sadducees. And the main difference between Pharisees and Sadducees was that Pharisees believed in a physical resurrection, and Sadducees didn't. That's why they're sad, you see. I mean, wouldn't you, if you didn't have any hope beyond this life, it'd be pretty sad, wouldn't it? So their name is very appropriate. They're Sadducees because they don't believe in the resurrection. And so they come to Jesus and they, they present this ridiculous scenario to Jesus. And basically the scenario is this. There's a guy and he's married. He has a wife. 
but they have had no children yet. Now, in Jewish law and Jewish custom, here's, here's what happened. If, if I am married to a woman and I die and I have not given her a child yet, then my brother is obligated to take her and, and give her a child so that the family name can be passed on so that, because barrenness was not a good thing. And, and so they come and they say, well, here's the situation, Jesus. Basically, there's a bride and, and she's married to a guy, and there are seven brothers. And so she's married, and her husband dies. They don't have any children, so the brother marries her, and he dies. They don't have any children, and the third marries her, and it goes on. So it all ends up, all seven brothers married the same woman. They all die. They go to heaven. He says, And they said, in the resurrection, if they're all raised, then whose wife is she going to be? Now, I want you to go to verse 24, and I want you to see Jesus' response, because it's very appropriate. Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Actually, that word is deceived. Are you not therefore deceived? And I don't think he probably said it very nice. I mean, I, I mean, what they were saying was absolutely ridiculous. It's kind of like saying the resurrection never happened. Jesus never lived. Are you not deceived? He says, are you not deceived because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? He says, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Boy, that's appropriate today, isn't it? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage, this is the book of Exodus, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Then Verse 28, I'm just going to go ahead and we're going to read to, to uh, chapter, to verse 34. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together. So there's the scribe standing there listening to Jesus and these Pharisees interact. And the scribe is listening to Jesus responding to the Sadducees here. And, and it says he, he perceived that Jesus answered them well. And he asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or we could say it like this, the Lord, he is God alone. There is no other God. There is only one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Verse 32. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher. I mean, he's patting Jesus on the back. So you got the answer right. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, 
and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself, look at this, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, that's a pretty powerful statement, lest we miss what this scribe is saying here. What he's saying is that commandment, doing that, loving God with all your heart, with all that's within you, and loving your neighbor as yourself, that is greater than the whole of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. You take them all that's ever been made and you put them all together and it is nothing compared to the reality of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after this, no one dared to question him anymore. Now, this is two days before Passover. Now, uh, there's two statements in this section of Scripture that I want to draw your attention to. One's in verse 27. It says, He is not God of the dead, but the God of the living. In verse 34, when Jesus says to this scribe, You are not far from the kingdom of God. He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. This is where this statement is made by God to Moses. Exodus chapter 3. Now this is important, church, because there is no, there is no other religion on earth that serves a living God. There is no other religion on earth that has a living Savior. There's not. And whether they believe there is or whether they believe there's not, it doesn't really matter. Do you know what we believe has no bearing on God? It has a great bearing on us. I'm telling you right now, what you believe and what you don't believe today has a great bearing on you, but it has no bearing on God. Whether you believe in God or not has no impact on the reality of who He is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. If you don't believe that, it has no impact whatsoever on the reality of that truth. Jesus Christ is the risen Savior. He is the Lord of all. Whether you believe that today or not has absolutely no impact on whether that is true or not. So what we believe doesn't have an impact on God, but it has a major impact on us, right? Because if I don't believe, if I don't believe God is who he says he is, I'm going to find out one day the impact that it's going to have on me. I will. I promise. And so will everybody else who does not believe. Just like so will everybody else who does believe. So here, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Moses has already left Egypt. He's run. He murdered an, an, an Egyptian, and he ran away, and he gets married, and now he's keeping his father-in-law's sheep back in the wilderness. And he thinks he's just going to live out his days being happily married here. He's back there tending his father-in-law's sheep. His father-in-law, Jethro, was the priest of Midian. And it says he led the flock to the back of the desert. Now, that's, that's way out there. That's like 
He's, he's far out there. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, wouldn't you? <laughs> and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I wonder who he was talking to. Maybe to the sheep, I don't know. You know, if you stay with sheep long enough out in the middle of the wilderness, you probably, he probably did talk to him. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Not a burning bush. The burning bush wasn't the great sight. The great sight was the fact that the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. He said, I'm going to turn and I'm going to see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. Moses has seen burning bushes before, but he's never seen a burning bush that didn't burn up. It's like, now this is strange. Hey, you guys, wait a minute. You sheep, hold up. I need to go check this out. I see a bush on fire, but it's not burning. I need to go check this out. And he turns, and he goes to see this great sight. And as he does, the Lord calls out from him to him from the midst of the bush. God saw he's turning and coming, and he says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. And he says, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. Here we go. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, be honest with me. How many of you would like to have a burning bush experience? How many of you would like to just, man, just like God speak to you from your burning rosebush or your burning azalea or your burning oleander, whatever? I mean, we read these accounts and we think, man, I wish I could have an experience like that with God. Can I tell you something? Moses in his day, looking at that burning bush, if he looked forward in time and saw us right here today, you know what Moses, Moses would say? I'd give anything to leave the presence of this burning bush and be where those people are right there. You say, you're crazy, Pastor Jeff. Why would he want to be here? In our day, in our time, because I'm going to tell you why. Because there is something very significant about today versus that day with Moses. Now, Paul writes this in Colossians. He says, Let no one judge you in food or drink or clothing or festivals or new moons or Sabbaths because those things are only the shadow, but Christ is the substance. That's in Colossians 3. Christ is the substance. Those are shadows. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Everything in this Bible, in the Old Testament especially, because the Old Testament, that's the book of shadows, we can say this. Because the Old Testament foreshadowed what was coming. So Sabbaths, temples, tabernacles, foods to eat, foods not to eat, clothes to wear, clothes not to wear. Festivals to keep, 
things to do, those were shadows that spoke of a substance. Who's the substance? Christ is the substance. What's happening to Moses right here at the burning bush, it's all shadow. That speaks of a substance to come. This is why Moses would trade places with us. He wouldn't right now, but he would have back then. Because he was living in the shadow. And he would look at us and say, you guys are not in the shadow anymore. You're living in the substance. And so here comes Moses. And he goes over to this bush. And the bush speaks to him, don't come near because this is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is the God of the living. Christ is the living God who is the God of the living. If you have gone through the door and gone from the old into the new, He is your God because you are alive. You are alive in Christ. He is the God of the living If you have come to that door and you have gone through, you've not only entered into his crucifixion, but you have, you must enter into his resurrection. And that makes him your God because you are living in him. You are moving in him. You have your very being in him, the scripture says. He is holy ground. He says, don't come near. Moses, take your sandals off because you are on holy ground. Christ is the holy ground. He is the rock we are to build our house on. He is the rock we're to build our life on. He is holy ground. Now I want you to think about this. By grace, Moses was allowed to come onto holy ground. The difference is today, Christ has come Christ is crucified, Christ is buried, Christ is risen. Moses came on to holy ground. Today, by grace, we come into holy ground. We're not just standing on, we are in Christ, the rock. By grace, Moses was allowed a place by him. Exodus 31, 21 says this. 33, 21 and 22. It's the account of Moses up on Sinai. And God has given him the Ten Commandments. This is when Israel flaked out and they thought Moses wasn't coming back. And Moses says to God, he says, God, I want to see your glory. And Moses, desiring to see God's glory, he asked. He wasn't afraid to ask. I mean, what, what, what can God say? But no, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your face, God. God says, well, Moses, if I let you see my glory, I'm going to have to kill you. And I'm not going to kill you yet because <laughs> I'm not through with you. Here's what I'll let you do, Moses. I'll hide you in the cleft. I'll put you. I'll place you by me. I'll put you in a place by me. I'll put you in the cleft of a rock. I'll cover you with my hand, and I will pass by, and I'll let you see the backside of my glory. But you can't see my face and live. So Moses said, I'll take what I can get, God. And so, God took Moses and put him in a place by him. Did Moses earn that spot? No. He didn't earn it. He didn't work for it. He came to that place by God in the cleft of that rock, watching the backside of God's glory go by. You know how he came to that place? He came to it by grace. He came to it by grace. By grace. 
By grace, God allowed Moses a place by him in the cleft of the rock. Now listen, church, here's the difference. By grace today, because of that door called the cross, because of the reality of the resurrection, by grace today, God doesn't give us a place by him. God has given us a place in him And we're not standing by Him, by grace. We are allowed a place in Him, abiding in Christ, who is the rock. By grace. How do we come to that place? We come by the cross. We come by the reality of the resurrection. How do I walk through that door? You walk through it by faith. That's how. You have to believe. You don't work for it. You don't pay for it. There's no middle ground that we're waiting to get prayed out of or paid out of. And hopefully we'll get to heaven one day. Uh Uh-uh. Remember, you either are or you aren't. Life, death, light, darkness. It's by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. The cross is the door that leads to our resurrection life in Christ by faith. The cross is about transformation through death And through new life. The cross, listen, can evoke emotion. How many of you have seen the passion of the Christ? I mean, I I don't know how you can watch that movie and not be moved to tears. It's easy for me. My kids laugh at me. My kids, you know, we watch a movie and they're all over there waiting for dad to cry. You know, it's just, but, but you see what Christ did visually, though, though there's no way to accurately presented it evokes emotion you can read the scripture about the crucifixion about the scourging of Jesus it evokes an emotional response I'm going to tell you today there's people sitting in church all over this nation did you know that Easter Sunday is the is the one day of the year that more people go to church than any other day I wonder why that is I mean it's almost like you know well, I mean, I'm not a total pagan, so I'm going to go to church on Easter. You know, if I didn't even go to church, even I did. I wasn't raised in church, man. But, you know, it's like somehow my, my brother married into a Catholic family. So it seemed like as I was growing up, I mean, I can remember uh, Christmas Eve or Easter, they'd do their best to get me in church. I didn't go any other time. But it's like I, I had to, you know, it's like, okay, there's got to be some hope for this guy. You know, so I was a little, you know, my brother was 18 years old when I was born. So my brother's like an adult. So he's taking me to church, the Catholic church with him on Easter's. I can remember being in church on Easter in the Catholic church. I didn't have a clue what was going on. You know, all the kneeling and standing confused me. And I didn't know whether I was supposed to go eat the bread and drink the grape juice or not, you know. And, and uh, it really was. I, I, but, but there was something about it, you know. And why, why is it? Why do we feel compelled? See, because there's an emotional response there. There's something about the reality. Whether we believe it or not, there's something about this. It it evokes some type of emotional response. But I want you to not be confused, and I don't want you to be deceived. That The cross, cross, though it evokes emotion, it, it, it doesn't work by emotion. See, your emotional response really has no bearing. Because there's a lot of people today that will go to church on Easter and have an emotional response. And, and they'll say things. It's kind of like making New Year's resolutions, you know. 
They're sitting in church right now being moved emotionally and they're in their mind saying, you know, I need to start going to church more. You know, I need to really start reading my Bible more. You know, I, I need to really... Uh, in, the, in the more emotionally we can paint the picture of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the more emotion it evokes in us. But it's, it's kind of like New Year's resolutions. Well, I had a lot of good intentions of exercising every day of losing all that weight, of eating better. But, but now I'm, I'm almost five months into the year, and you know, I'm just, and I hadn't made it to the gym in two months. I'm still eating those chili dogs every day at 7-Eleven. And I'm still drinking regular Dr. Pepper. I just can't seem to acquire a taste for the diet. Why? Because we'll never be changed. We'll never be transformed because of some emotional response. See, God's not looking for an emotional response this morning from anybody. As a matter of fact, the cross is indifferent to emotion. That might sound harsh, but it's true. The cross judges all things, and it is void of emotion. Because the cross judges everything in the light of Christ. See, it doesn't matter how well-intentioned I am. It doesn't matter how good my works are. It doesn't matter how good I think my life is. The cross judges me in the light of Christ. And when I stand before the Lord, listen, I'm a pastor. I, I spend all my day reading the Bible, studying the Scripture, helping people, doing things. But if you think that's going to be impressive to God, I'll tell you what, you got another thing coming. God is not impressed by my busyness, even if it's all about His kingdom. He's not. He's not impressed by that. Because I will be judged the same way everybody else will be judged. I'll be judged in light of Christ. If I have walked through that door and come out of the old and into the new, then I will be judged as one who has now become the righteousness of God, the life of God, and the light of God in the Son, Jesus Christ. If I haven't gone through that door, I will be judged as one who, regardless of how good my works are, regardless of how wonderful a life I might live, God will judge me in the light of His Son, and my life to God will be sin, death, and darkness. And my good intentions won't mean anything in that day. Because only Christ, Christ alone, can transform me, can change me. The cross is the door to that transformation. God is not seeking some emotional response. God is seeking true, true transformation. And true transformation comes by the power of the cross. It comes by the power of His resurrection. True transformation will produce more than some temporary good intention. True transformation will, will produce or will manifest a life that is born out of the reality of Christ in me. It's a life born, listen church, out of and conforming to the life of Christ by the Spirit of God. How do we conform to Christ? Not through our works, but by the Spirit in me. How do I come from death to life? I don't do it by anything. I can't do that. No dead man can raise himself. It is the power of of God that will strengthen this mortal body, that will raise me from death to life. That is done by the power of the Spirit of God in me.
This is the gospel. It's not what you can do, it's what Christ has already done. It is yielding to that, it is accepting that, it's trusting in that and allowing God through the power of the cross, through the power of the resurrection, through the power of His Spirit to transform us. True transformation will produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We can produce the works of the flesh, but we cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. You can try to work up peace, and the more you try to work up peace, the less peace you're going to have. Have you ever noticed how that works? Has any, have you, any of you ever been stressed out because you don't have any peace in your life, and you're worrying because you don't have any peace? Did you ever notice that your worrying doesn't add peace to your life? It doesn't, does it? It just makes it worse. Why? Because we can't work those things up. That is by the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the produce of the life of God in me. This is what true transformation does. It causes that fruit to be produced in our life. It causes a manifestation of a life, the life of Christ in us. Jesus says to this scribe back in Mark chapter 12, when he hears the scribe answer wisely, and the scribe says to him, that loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your understanding, and loving your neighbor as yourself, these are greater than the, all the whole of the burnt offerings and sacrifices that have ever or ever will be offered. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom. How far, how far are we from the kingdom? Where is, where is our heart? See, Jesus showed the world his heart when he died on that cross. He didn't have to tell the world. He showed the world. You know what humanity is screaming out for? Whether she knows it or not, she is screaming out for someone to show her the heart of God. To show her the truth. To show her the way. To show her the life of God. The love of God. The church is real good at talking. We've got the talking part down. But our words have become empty because there is no true manifestation in our life. And I think a lot of times we talk and we talk and we talk. And all we're really doing is deceiving ourselves. All we're really doing is, is consoling ourselves. Deceiving ourselves into thinking that, that everything's okay. I'm not so bad. and you know, I know I haven't arrived yet. I'm just kind of in this middle ground here. Well, I hate to tell you there is no middle ground. There isn't. It's a heart of faith that God is looking for. It's about our heart. What's in our heart? Where is all of our heart? See, God didn't say to love Him with part of your heart. He said to love Him with all of your heart. And it would do us good sometimes to stop and to ask ourselves the hard questions, not in a condemning way, just, just in an honest way. See, we oftentimes read the words of Jesus and think Jesus was condemning people. He wasn't condemning anybody. He was just stating matters of fact. He just told it how it was. And sometimes we need to stop and we need to ask ourselves, where is all my heart? Where is my heart? 
What's going on in my heart? What's the condition of my heart? And when we, when we ask that question, when we seek an honest answer, and, and when we ask that question honestly to God, God will honestly answer our question. Not to condemn us, not to judge us, but that we can be located. How far, how far from the kingdom? That scribe was not very far from the kingdom. I wonder, after Jesus was crucified and after Jesus was resurrected, I wonder, I wonder what he did with Jesus. I wonder what he did with the resurrected Lord. What are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to deny that he exists? Are we going to join the skeptics and join the cry? We're not crying crucify him anymore, but we might as well be. Are we going to allow this word and the word, the living word, Jesus Christ, are we going to allow him to deal with our heart? Because that's really what he wants to do. And as long as I'm denying him, as long as I'm conveniently believing that he's not really real, then I'm conveniently not allowing him to deal with my heart. But I'm going to tell you what, God in his long-suffering will not turn his back. He will deal with you. And one day, when man stands before him, and, and the scripture says we will all stand before him. Now, I, I'm going to tell you something. I, I'll stand before him one day. I won't be judged for my sin. You know why? Because, because Jesus already paid for my sin. I'm not worried about my sin. My sin is gone. It's washed away. What man is going to be judged for is what they did with Jesus. What did we do with this man who is called Jesus? What did we do with Jesus the Christ? We'll all have to answer that question. And if we have walked through that door of the cross from old into new, If we have, then we can stand with boldness and with confidence. Let me read you one last scripture, then we're going to close. Here's what John says. I love the scripture. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, I believe. First John 4, 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Do you know it today, church? Do you believe it today? God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Why? For God is love. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, as Christ is, so are we. In this world. I can't say that on my own merit. But yet that's what the scripture proclaims. If any man be in Christ. In that day we can have boldness and confidence. Because as he is. So are we. In this world. For those. For any man in Christ. When the father looks upon us. He does not see us in sin and death and in darkness. He sees us. 
in righteousness, life, and light because we are in the Son. Are you in the Son today? Where is your heart today? Is it divided? Is it all for Him? You say, Pastor Jeff, I'm a believer, but i got a divided heart. Well, His grace is sufficient, but He doesn't want you to live with a divided heart because if you live with a divided heart, you live with a divided mind. And a double-minded man, the Scripture says, is unstable in all of his ways. Let's stand.